Beautiful. I think she's beautiful. That's my daughter. So, my name is Evan. Uh, if we have not met, or if you forgot, I'll be reading the Bible for you today. Uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray over this scripture. We got uh, quite a bit to go over today. Gracious God, we thank you so much for a time that we could come together to praise your name, that we could come together in this place, a sanctuary where we are safe to uh, have fellowship with one another, with our brothers and sisters. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll um, illuminate the scripture to us, that we will drink. Uh, deeply of your word today and uh, just be able to become saturated in you so that we may have deeper conversation, deeper relations with one another and uh, be able to encourage one another. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it possible to be right and wrong at the same time? Is it possible to be totally correct and yet wrong at the same time? Yes, we think so? All right, let me, well, for those of you who don't think so, let me, uh, let me share with you a quick story, and then you tell me what your verdict is. This was back about 10, 10 or 11 years ago when my wife, Aang, and I were still dating, and she took me out. She's like, hey, let's, let's go out for a Vietnamese food. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. So we went out to Little Saigon, and, and when we went to pay after the meal, uh, at the, the cashier station was an idol, was one of those, you know, the little... Uh, uh, um, worship tables with either Buddha or Amdeya or whatever the flavor of the day is, and there is an idol there. And what is in front, generally, of these idols is incense and fruit that is offered to these idols, right? So I thought, hmm, as we're waiting there for my credit card to be declined, I, uh, we were in college, <laughs> it still gets declined. Okay, as I was waiting for that uh, to come back to me, I thought I would be cute and make my, my girlfriend smile. So I reached across the incense, and picked up an orange. Yeah, I can, yeah, you know where this is going already. <laughs> Some of you are already grimacing. Mm, yeah, I know, thank you. I know you're thinking, oh, you can burn your hand on the incense, so you shouldn't do that. So I picked up this orange, and my wife, my then girlfriend, now wife, is like, mm, and the guy at the register is like, mm, and I'm like, mm, and I was like, hey, free dessert. And no, like everybody in the restaurant, I swear, it just got quiet. <laughs> like, and uh, not only, it doesn't stop there, I actually continued to reach for another orange. I know, it's like this guy's dense. I'm the worst missionary in the world, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Reached across, grabbed another orange, and pretended to juggle them in front of this man. Yeah, I know, it's, this is why I have not been invited back to Asia uh, for a mission, so... <laughs> So we, we're done paying, and he's, you know, just staring daggers at me, and, and I, I kind of, finally, my emotional intelligence uh, kicked in, and I'm like, okay, I think this is not good, and so I put it back, and I turned to my, my girlfriend, I'm like, well, what, it's just, it's, it's just a statue, it's not like it's going to eat the oranges, you know, they're just going to waste. Now, am I right? <laughs> well, in the last service, people said yes. Am I right 
yeah, it is just an idol. It is not going to actually consume. It has not been documented that these statues consume fruit. Okay, so I have not seen that. So am I correct logically? Yes, thank you. But am I wrong at the same time for doing that? Yes. So it is possible to be the wrong kind of right. And that is what we will be talking about today. Being right and yet still wrong. The wrong kind of right. We've been going through this series called Making Room for Jesus. It is a walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. This was a church uh, in Corinth that had correspondence with a man named Paul who had founded the church and, and just had... These people had all of these uh, theological dilemmas. They had all of these questions for Paul. And uh, again and again, we, we encourage you to go onto uh, YouTube uh, to check out the, the, the sermons that we've been going through chapter by chapter. Again and again, people were bringing up these different questions like, Paul, is it okay for us to this? And what are your thoughts of this? And there's this crazy stuff going on here. And it was a pretty rattled, messed up church. But praise God, because uh, for our benefit, we actually get answers to many different questions. Today we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, so I encourage you to open up your Bibles if you have them in front of you. There's also up on the screen, but 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I would discourage you from looking at your phone in case a pop-up comes or, you know, you're tempted to go and look at those YouTube videos of previous sermons. Uh, just live this one out today, okay, and then we'll get to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, let me set this up while you're flipping there, a little bit of a background of what we're about to read. In the town of Corinth, there were many different temples with many different idols, many different gods that people would go and worship. Okay? So there would be gods for money, for prosperity, for sex, for relationship, for commerce, for etc. So whatever you wanted, whatever you needed, whatever you desire, you go to the appropriate god for those things. You sacrifice a bowl or whatever it was that they required, and you share a meal with the priests. And so what people would do, typically, was they would go to these temples. They'd say, oh, yes, let's just take, uh, let's just take a, a random god, you know, and uh, let's say Zeus. So we're going to go to this temple, and we're going to slaughter this bull. Now, you pay $500 for this bull. You bring it there. You slaughter it. They eat. You eat. And you only eat about $200 worth. You could technically sell the rest back off. And so what these temples would do is they'd set up markets outside of the temples where they would sell all of this meat, extra meat, at a very discounted price, okay? Now, there were many Christians at this church who were uneasy about that because half of them previously had sacrificed to those idols. They've been in that scene. They, they know what it's like. They know what the rituals are, the words that are said. And so they were very uncomfortable with this idea of eating meat that had been previously done uh, in, in some sort of ritual that was, in their view, like, this is, no, this is demonic and Satan is in that. Meat, I do not want anything to do with it. On the other hand, there were these Christians that were saying, well, it's cheap. <laughs> it's meat. I mean, I got to eat. You hungry? I'm hungry. Let's just eat. What's the big deal? Okay, so that is the sort of context that we're looking at. Let's read through this, and then we'll dissect it a little bit further. Now, about food, sacrifice to idols. Again, they're saying, Paul, what do we do about this? We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think that they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live, 
And there is one, but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat it. We are no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way, you wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. All right, riveting, right? This is very relevant to many of us who go to temples and eat food sacrificed to idols. Not really, okay. But actually, the principle here is very, very, very relevant. You see, to these people, this church was in so much discord with one another over things like this that they were going and saying, look, this, Paul, this is really bothering some of us, and, and we, wanna, we want to know who is right, who is correct in this manner. Now, again, it may not seem relevant to us because probably if I asked for a poll, most of you aren't really bothered by things like halal food or anything like that. It's like, whatever, it's just food. But there are many cultural things that we today do that do put some Christians up in arms over and against one another. There are many gray areas that we kind of see where it's not necessarily in scripture. We take it by principle and we take it by conscience. Let me give you an example of some cultural and traditional things that we do here in the U.S. just so that you could get a flavor of what that tension is like. I wanna, I'm, just, I'm looking for gut reactions here. Okay. Let's try this first one. Oh, this is going to be fun. What is coming up this next week? What holiday is a cultural thing? Somebody else said Christmas in the last service. It's, it's Halloween. <laughs> Christmas just takes over all of October to December. At Costco, it's Christmas. You're right. Halloween. Should a Christian participate in Halloween? Everybody's afraid to say anything, huh? On one hand, we know that it has deep roots in these, these pagan traditions. But on the other hand, I have a kangaroo outfit, and I don't want to be judged for wearing it while I get candy from my neighbors. So who is right? Exactly. You see the tension. Should a Christian drink alcohol? Yeah, you're all smiling now. Okay. Should a Christian go to EDC? Too late, okay. Should a Christian uh, listen to secular music at all or watch things like Game of Thrones? Should, how much skin should a Christian show? Where is the line for a skirt? Should Christian fight in war? Well, the Bible says you shouldn't kill. But it's also calling us to be members of our society. Should a Christian uh, smoke marijuana or vape? Should a Christian get a tattoo? Half of you are still here, that's good, all right. Should a Christian vote for a candidate that may support unbiblical standards? Should a Christian shop at a business that supports unbiblical principles or agendas? 
You just have to grow all your own food and make all your own items. Should a Christian bow at an altar at a non-Christian family event, like a wedding or a funeral? So oftentimes in our community, when you're at a family member's house, you may be expected to uh, bow to an altar of a deceased relative during a family event. And you can either risk insulting your family and everybody on their side of the other side of the family, and you're pressured, or on the other side, some people view it as like, no, I'm just, that's, I committed apostasy and I left the faith. And this is a dilemma, especially for a lot of youth that I had over the years, where they're like, Anevin, do I bow or not bow? I'm like, can you just not go? I don't know, just call sick or something. It's tough. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. Well, okay, I do mean to make you uncomfortable. That is the point of sharing this list with you because I want you to feel and see what the dilemma was in this church. These are all items that people want to know, well, what is the actual truth? And if I were to legit ask everybody each one of these items, we're going to get a whole bunch of different answers because there are people I've already seen on Facebook like, nope, don't lock yourself in. It's Halloween, go to a fall festival, run away, it's the devil's holiday. And then there's, at the same time, there's all of these other Christians that are like, whatever, I'm a pirate, we, you know. So, who's right? And what do you do with that? Who is right? Paul? Because these people are saying it's just meat. But I've been there, and I know that there's some nasty stuff that they say and do, and then I, I just, I feel like just being associated with that is going to taint my spirit. So what do you do? Let's look at what Paul says in breaking this down. Now, about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. He's starting with something. When you see things like that in quotes, it generally means that it was a saying at that time. Okay? We all possess knowledge, so everybody knows something. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. So they're looking for a straight answer, yes or no. But of course, Paul being Paul is like, let me take you on a little journey first. Let me preface all of this with something else. Yes, everybody knows something. We all know something. We've all experienced things, if you will. But Paul says, hey, but this knowledge of yours that you want to back yourself up with saying, it's okay to drink, it's okay to eat, it's okay to party. Right, Paul? Right? It's just whatever. As long as I don't sin, it's all good. Right? Saying, yeah, it's true. You have this knowledge, but let me tell you something about knowledge. Knowledge itself is not evil, but it does have a tendency to puff you up to make somebody arrogant. When we think of something that's puffed up, we think, uh, like, let's say, a football. What's in the middle of a football or a soccer ball or a basketball? Air. <laughs> Helium, depending on who's playing, right? There's really nothing in it. It looks big, and it's bigger than probably it should be, unless it had something in the middle, but there's nothing. There is nothing there. It is bigger. When we, in, when we take in more and more knowledge, when we get our degrees as we age and we get more experience, the temptation for us in our head is to be, well, a lot bigger, right? Knowledge puffs up. But he introduces this new concept, while love builds up. Knowledge puffs you up. It makes you arrogant. You can look to scripture. You can look to logic of the world and if you're not careful, that's going to just puff you up and you're just completely distended from how you should be. The goal here, Corinthians, Christians, TLC, is love. The goal of the church is not to be a know-it-all in everything Bible, but to be a love-em-all based on the scripture that you have. If you think about it, people, like, do you like being around a know-it-all? 
know-it-all, right? I like to be a know-it-all. It's fun. Who here likes to be right? Okay, we all like to be right, yes? Good, I'm right. That's good. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. We all like to be right, but nobody likes a know-it-all. But nobody ever, you never hear the term love them all. It's like, man, they actually care. When your goal is not to prove a point about something, when your goal is to love and build someone up, that sort of changes your whole approach to these sorts of questions of, is this right, is that wrong, is this right, is that wrong? The goal is to be built up in love. That word build up is the same word that they use to, uh, when you're building up a house or constructing a house. Now, unlike a football where there's nothing inside, Inside of a structure, there's plans that went into it, there's thought that went into it, there's care, there's security. Love is what builds up. Okay, but can we eat the meat or not? Hold on, hold on, hold on. He needs to preface this with some correct theology. We are not looking necessarily to be right about every single little thing so that we can prove that, yeah, I can live the lifestyle that I want. That meat is mine. Pirate outfit, here I come. I'm going to drink in front of everyone and not feel ashamed. What you're looking, when you're doing that, when you're having those conversations with other Christians and you're like, no, you know what, it's, it's totally fine. Just do it. I'm going to do it. I do it all the time. There's nowhere in the Bible that says I can't do that. Show me in the Bible where it says that. Right? When we have that attitude, are we really looking to build up anybody? Or are we really just looking to build up ourselves? So Paul attacks this right away. He's like, okay, you're asking this question food sacrifice to idols. Let me remind you of why we exist as a church. Let me remind you of the community that God calls us to be, one that builds each other up, not just puffs up our own ego. In fact, Peter, in his, uh, in his letter, 1 Peter, uses that same word built up when he describes us as Christians, that we are being built up as God's kingdom. We are the materials that God uses. So what does he do next? That's just one verse. Verse 2. Those who think they know something do not know as they ought to know. I love, I think that's so funny. You really think you know something. You don't truly know everything. We all know, there's people like this at this church. I, I, love, I love having a conversation about something, and it's usually older guys, not old, old, but just like my age and up, and it's usually, no, 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 no. Let me, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is how you live a life. This is how you do it. This is what I do. They've had one experience and they just think everybody else should do that. That fits for my life. That's what I do. You should do it too, right? We all have, we all know somebody like that. Maybe you're that person. I don't know. But they don't truly know everything. And what Paul is getting at here is, look, you don't know as you ought to know. In other words, you don't know another person's history. You don't know another person's thoughts and their thought patterns. You don't know their background. You don't know what they've been through. So just consider that. Now, who does know that? God. And verse 3, if anybody loves, is a lover of God or loves God, is known by God. He's encouraging these Corinthians to, to remind them, hey, look, the people that you're fighting with over tattoos and going to war and voting for whoever you voted for, these people also love Jesus just like you. You're not any better. You're not any worse. They're genuinely seeking the kingdom of God, and they're doing it in the best way that they know how. They're not in sin, right? We're not talking about sin issues here. We're not talking about big things like, you know, oh, I, you know, it says 
don't kill, but I believe in the resurrection, so bye. You know, no, it doesn't, it's not talking about that. But when it comes to some of these ethical dilemmas that we have in the church or when you might have in your small groups, Paul's like, look, stop for a minute. I know that you think you know everything, and this is the best. They should be doing this. Why aren't they doing that? Haven't they read this in the Bible? Don't they know anything? Gosh, they're a Christian, really? They went to that party? Man, oh, what's that? Why are you covering it? Oh, you got a tattoo. Mm. They're slipping away. They're backsliding. Right? We're so quick to judge, but you don't know everything that they know. Your, your story is different from their story. Your convictions may be different from their convictions. Again, we all agree Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. But there may be things that come up like this where to some people it's a big deal and to others it's not. I know some people who uh, have come to Christ and they had a former lifestyle of partying. Right? They had a whole former, like every time they touch a drink, it was like, it's lit, it's on, boom, here we go, right? And after coming to Christ, they, they realize, like, hey, this, this isn't good for me. It's going to damage my faith. And so when they're around other people who are drinking, they, they just completely abstain from it. And they're like, I don't want anything to do with that. And in fact, they may even pull out of any fellowship with you if you're around it. They may even look at you and be like, oh, man, is drinking okay? Oh, man, I, there must be something wrong with me. And here we are, like, it's not a big deal, just do it. It's just a drink. It's fermented juice. Like, come on. I know what this is. It's just meat, Paul. It's just like, come on. Discount. It's so cheap, right? Just do it. But you don't know their background. They do genuinely love God, and maybe they're not where you are at yet in your journey with God. Maybe they haven't read, read the scripture that you've read. Maybe they haven't heard this sermon yet. And here we are lambasting people. Oh, my goodness. So Paul says, hold up a minute. Let me just remind you of why we exist. We don't exist to be know-it-alls here. Okay? Now, to food sacrifice with idols. You think you know something, but truly, you don't really know everything if you're not really loving. And how do I know if you're loving or not? Are you really seeking God first in every circumstance, even in these ethical dilemmas? Now, with that foundation and that preface he goes on to answer because i know you all want to know well what's the answer <laughs> is there actual truth well yeah there is let's see what he says next so then about eating food sacrificed to idols we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no god but one for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and indeed there are many gods and lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for uh, whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So he answers the question there and says what? Yeah, it's just an idol. <laughs> it's just a piece of wood or metal or whatever it is. It's true. These sorts of things are what we'd call theologically neutral, okay? Is food neutral? Yes, pretty much. Jesus declared all things clean. Eat whatever you want. I mean, unless it's going to kill you or something or you're allergic to it, obviously. Is alcohol neutral? Some people in this room are still going to be very uncomfortable with it. Technically, it's fermented juice. What you do with it is different. How about money? Is money neutral to God? Does God stand before money and say, this is a great evil in my eyes? No. It's a form of currency. We trade with it. We say, this 
green, in this country, this green piece of paper is worth this much time. That's all. Now, what do you do with it? Can it be an evil? Can it be an idol? Yeah, absolutely. Bless you. Sex. Is it evil? Not innately. Outside of marriage, it can be, yes. Is partying, is going to a party and enjoying and wearing a, a little cone hat? Because that's what you do when you party, right? That's what I do. That's why nobody comes to my parties. Is dressing like an astronaut evil? <laughs> no, it's kind of funny, <laughs> right? Other people may condemn you if you just wear that, you know, and it's not Halloween, but it's cloth, it's material. So in and of themselves, are these things evil? No. Can they be? Can they be considered idols? Can they? Yeah, absolutely. But a thing is a thing, and they're completely neutral. Now, Paul is clear in chapter 10, if we were to move on, which we're not, but in, in chapter 10, he's like, look, we don't worship idols, okay, everybody? I need to make that clear, okay? You can't both, you know, do one lifestyle after some God that you want and another, right? So he does make it clear, we don't worship idols, it's only God. But in and of themselves, are these things, these byproducts, this meat, is it evil? Is it when you consume it, you're consuming Satan, and he's like pouring into you every time you have a drink or a vape? No. Are they healthy necessarily? Not necessarily, they could be, they could not be, they are completely neutral. So he answers the question, but, verse 7, look at what it says. But, and this is a big but in the Greek, there's two buts, I know, it's funny. This is a big contrast, basically, to what he's saying. So he gives us the truth, and then he says what? But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food doesn't bring us near to God, and we're no worse if we eat or if we don't. What he's getting at here is not everybody that is around you in the Christian community understands that yet. They might not be where you're at. They might not have read that. They don't have the same convictions, and when they see you doing it, it hurts them. Let me give you an example. They may have had a history with alcohol that they were raised in a, in a family where dad would rage. He would get drunk. All they would see is a bottle of whiskey or cognac or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, they're just, they're, they're monsters. And so they grew up with this thought of, no, you know what? E there is evil in that, that juice. Nope. Bad things happen. There is nothing good that can happen from that. And so when they see you, their leader, or their fellow Christian doing it and, and just consuming and having a great time as if it's nothing, it kills them inside. It hurts them. And so what Paul is saying is, is it just juice? Is it fermented juice? Is it just ink on your skin? Sure. Is it just whatever? You just voted and just whatever. It's not even up to me. It's rigged anyway. Whatever it is. But do you understand that to somebody else around you, when the way that you're acting and talking and, and showing them, it can actually hurt them and damage them. So are you right? Well, yeah, you're right. It's just meat. An idol is just a carved thing. Alcohol is fermented juice. But are you really right? Are you the wrong kind of right? Depends. Depends. So what do we do with this then? It may affect somebody's peace of mind. What, Paul, what do we do? What, you've told us the truth. Okay. On one hand, yes, we want to be loving, we want to be conscious of others. At the other, it's like, dude, I don't want to limit my personal, like, should I limit myself and, like, wear, like, a dress up to here and my feet? Like, what do I do? He gives us one imperative. 
He gives us one command in this whole passage, and it flows logically next, verse 9. All right, here is what I say you should do. Everybody, be careful. That's it. Be careful, be careful. Be watchful. In the gospel, yeah, you have freedom. There is certainly freedom. But be careful how you exercise this freedom. Pastor Tony had actually said this in a sermon before, something like, you can do anything, but you shouldn't. That doesn't mean you should do everything. Okay? You can do everything, but it doesn't mean you should do everything. In the gospel, there is freedom. And as Christians, we have freedom, but we must be very careful in how we carry it out. So be careful that you exercise. The exercise of your right does not become a stumbling block to the weak, those who it is bothered by. You should just do this. It's no big deal. Do what I do. This. Be careful. Because to them, they may pick up smoking, drinking, doing whatever, partying, and, and thinking it's okay. But for them, it's not. Well, so then, is it a sin? It, it could be. If you were to look at Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 15, it really sums up this principle pretty well. Very similar language to what he's saying here in 1 Corinthians. It says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? Oh, man, these guys are so lame. Like they, I guess they don't get it. They're still like in the 60s or something. Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. You're right. But... If anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. So are you right? Yes, there are primary issues, there's secondary issues. The primary ones we all agree upon. Like, yes, Jesus died for our sins. Yes, we are called to love God and love people. We don't budge on those, but there are many, many secondary things that some people say, no, this is a primary thing. Halloween's primary. Shopping here is primary. Saying these things, primary. Drinking this thing is primary. So what do we do as Christians? When we butt up against that and we're like, well, no, I think I have evidence that proves otherwise, do we slam them right away? No, we must be careful. We default to the first issue of loving others first. There is time for correction. I'm not saying, again, and if it, this is a sin issue, that's something different. But for these gray areas where it's okay, for, it seems okay for some of us, but for others it's not, what are we called to do? You, you can possibly be the wrong kind of right. So what do we do, Paul? How, how do we live out this Christian experience? How do we live in a community where there's so many varying opinions on different issues? What do we do? He says, be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating at an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened? That word is the same word that is built up, that we find up at the top. So in other words, in their building of their life and in their journey, they're going to stick this into that scheme. Won't they be emboldened? 
when you sin against them in this way, you wound their conscience, you sin against Christ. Wow. Wow, that's pretty bad. That says a few things, though, about our relationship to Jesus. That he's so inextricably tied to us. That he is in our very soul. That he knows our conscience. He knows what motivates our thoughts. That God understands that in each individual and knows when I don't touch this alcohol or when I do. Or when I go to this party or when I don't. He knows what is behind that. And so when we intentionally wound one another and we say, you're wrong. This, no, you're dumb. You don't get it. I know the Bible. I'm a leader. We're actually wounding them. It's easy for pastors, trust me. I have arguments with family members and like I come so close every time to pulling out the pastor card like, well, well, you're wrong. It's, I'm a pastor. And I don't even have to say, like, quote anything. I just, I just think I know everything, right? But we all do that to some degree. And when we do that to one another as Christians, we're wounding each other. And it's not just that you're wounding each other in their conscience and saying, no, it's okay. And like, okay, I'll just, I guess I'll do it. I'm here. <laughs> Again, nobody comes to my parties. You're wounding them, but not only that, but you're offending Christ for whom they died for, your very Lord. Wow. So Paul's resolve is this. Therefore, what, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. That's quite a bit of love that Paul has for his brothers and sisters around him, that he's willing to surrender his rights and to give them up. How do we do this well? There's a few principles that we see here that Paul has written just in the last few verses. One, be mindful that behind every Christian stands Jesus. If you were to talk to everybody in this room, all of the other uh, believers in the Lord, if you were to, or even from another church, you have to trust that they also love God, and if that is true, then Jesus stands right behind them. So the way that you treat them is how you treat your Lord. That's pretty crazy. That would kind of change the way that we have some of these discussions, wouldn't it? It's not all about just typing out a truth bomb on Facebook or Instagram, saying click and like, okay, boom, truth bomb, done. That's my opinion, I'm right. But when we're talking to our fellow brothers and sisters, we want to be mindful of that, that their journey is different. Inevitably, we also have to think about the gospel in this. Because what did Jesus do? He laid down all of his rights. He was the most right person to ever walk this earth. Nobody was more right. I mean, he is the word of God become flesh. That's pretty crazy. And yet, what did he do? Go around like, no, you got, y'all got to change this. No, y'all stupid. Like, you don't get it. No. He surrendered everything. He laid down his rights. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name Jesus, of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the, the glory of God the Father. 
it's crucial for us as, as Christians to remember what Jesus did in making room for us first. We make room for others who may not be where you quite are. It's okay if they have varying and different opinions. That's okay. Again, it's not a sin issue. Then maybe we are called at times to sacrifice and lay down our rights. So can you go out on Halloween? Sure, it's a piece of cloth. It's not going to send you to hell. However, if you are in a small group or a community, that, that is really troubling and really bothers those around you. Even though you have the knowledge, it's like, it's a shirt. For a time, and I don't know how long that time will be, maybe you're called to just say, you know what? Let's go to your fall festival. That's fine too. It's just an alcoholic beverage. I don't get drunk. I know my limits. I, I just want to sip. But if it's going to bother and make somebody else around you fall into sin, where they're like, okay, I guess it's okay, and they're going crazy, well, then it's better to just say, you know what, I think I'll just have, you guys should just drink water, to be honest. <laughs> like, soda's bad for you. I guess I'll have soda. You going for a soda? She's going for alcohol. I don't know what she's doing. She's <laughs> like, I need a drink right now. We're called to surrender our rights. Why? And make room for those who have varying opinions. Why? Because Jesus made room for us. Though we were weak, we did not understand all of these things. When I first became a Christian, I was still going like this. Like, I was like, I don't know. I see my Catholic friends do this. And I thought that was like, okay, I'm, this is me signing off. You know, here I go. You know, or like, or I, I, would, I would always remove my hat whenever I prayed. Like, it didn't matter if people were praying. I'm like, oh, I got to take off my hat. Because other, other American Christians were, were doing that. And I thought, okay. God must be blocked <laughs> because of this hat. He can't hear my thoughts, you know. It's like that's why Magneto wears the helmet is so that Professor X. Justin's the only one that got that, I think. I don't know. Implicit in this passage also is that it means we have to be in more communication and in deeper relationship with one another. Okay, Paul knew what they were thinking right from the get-go. The very first thing he says is what? Yeah, we all possess knowledge. That's what you guys say, right? Okay, let me start there. You start where people are at, and that means having an actual conversation and discussion. This is actually a big thing. Because as we progress as a community and as a country, more and more we're relying on technology and social media, and things get blown out of proportion so quickly. And there's little relationship behind many of those words. So we as a church, I would say, are called to demonstrate what true community and true conversation and discussion looks like. Because the rest of the world is going to look online and see two different Christians saying various things and saying, oh, here's an article that proves my point. Well, I have John Piper and I have Tim Keller. Look, this guy's a doctor and this was from this source. And we can do that all day long. But it does a disservice to the rest of the world who's looking for community. When suddenly they can look at the church and say, you have different opinions, but you're having this discussion in this beautiful way. And you still have one Lord. That's interesting. Tell me about that. So we see the beauty of what Paul is doing here. What's the right answer, Paul? Well, let me preface it with love. What is your motivation? Again, are you looking to build up one another here? Or are you looking to just be like, I, I want to be known as being right all the time? Okay, don't be a know-it-all. Be a love them all. So, some pastoral advice to conclude. It is possible to be the, right, the wrong kind of right. 
Okay? It is possible to be right and yet wrong. When you catch yourself saying things in your mind like, okay, don't they know this? Or, God, don't they, oh, they're so dumb. Like, they should do what we do. Like, we always, okay, when you catch yourself feeling or thinking these thoughts, one, don't send the email. Don't click post. Don't do those things. Don't, just hold your tongue for a minute. Okay? Don't be so quick to speak. Quick to listen. Okay? Be slow to anger is what James encourages us. When we hear things, I'm going to go out to this party. <sighs> no. Calm down. Second, remember that Jesus is still behind this person. They're, they're on a journey. Remember what the gospel means. Sacrifice and humility that was demonstrated on your part by Jesus for you. We're called to demonstrate that. Take time to listen, to have deep conversations with one another. Okay, and be mindful of your actions. Again, the goal is love and building up one another. When you sense that contention, when you're having this discussion in your family or with, with our church family here, the goal is to build up in love. It's good to have the truth in mind, okay, but we lead out of our hearts first. Okay, don't be a know-it-all, be a love-em-all. Let's pray. Savior, I come, quiet my soul. Remember Redemption's here Where your blood was spilled